That was good. Good morning. I'm glad that you guys are here for church this morning. I'm glad that you're here to hear from the Word, uh, to be walking with us uh, this morning. We are going to be starting a new series. Tyler kind of already told you guys, but we're going to be starting a new series in the Psalms. Uh, and so we're going to be starting in Psalm 2, if you have your Bible. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 2. I know Tyler, I listened to Tyler's sermon last week, and I heard Tyler make a joke about how I say that every week. I do say that every week. Uh, I love for you guys to bring your Bibles with you to church, have a copy right in front of you so that you can be taking notes as we go, so you can be highlighting whatever it is, so that when you go through the week and you're reading the Scripture, that you're able to see things that stuck out to you, see things that maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you through. And so I, I want you to bring your Bible with you each week, and I want you to open it each week. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn it to Psalm 2. Uh, Tyler did a great job last week wrapping up our series, our series in Joshua. Uh, there's a chance that we're going to go into the last part of Joshua later this year. I haven't quite made it through it. I'm seeking the Lord in it and walking through it. So we'll see where we end up this year or later this year. Uh, but we're going to be specifically uh, focusing on the Psalms uh, this summer. And so like Tyler mentioned uh, in the welcome, we do have a Psalm guide uh, so you can read two to three Psalms a day uh, and you'll be able to go through the entire book of Psalms in 10 weeks. And the purpose is not to read the entire book. I want you to be able to read the entire book. But the purpose is not to read the entire book. The purpose, the purpose will be for you to see God's character. To see God's character through the Psalms, to see it through what David says and what Moses said, because Moses wrote some of the Psalms and Jeremiah wrote some of the Psalms, and then all the Levites, they wrote, they wrote Psalms. The Levites, they were priests in the temple. To see what all these different groups of people and these individuals in the Bible wrote and how they described God's character and the way that he worked in Israel and way he, the way he worked for them as people. And so the goal, yes, we want you to read the entire book, but we want you to specifically focus on each morning, opening up the Word and saying, God, show me more of your character. Show me more of who you are. And that's what we're going to be focusing on throughout this series is we, as a church, we are going to be focused on finding God's character in the Psalms. We want to seek and find God's character in the Psalms, but even more than that, we also want to be encouraged and strengthened in our prayer life. You see, the Psalms, the Psalms, they are, they are songs, like, like worship songs that they would sing in the temple. And so each one of these things, some of them were more of just things that they would say, but some of them actually were songs. You'll see as you go, as you read, as we go through each Sunday, that there are little uh, things like Psalm 5, it says, for the choir director with, with the flutes. If you look at it, it says that. There are different little notes in there that explain these were songs, literal songs that they would come and sing before David or they would sing in the temple. And they, they were ways that they would explain how they were feeling, how they were, how they were as a nation, or what they were going through, what they were experiencing. And they would offer prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of, of supplication, prayers of uh, intercessory. We're going to see that as we go that all the songs, yes, they are songs, but they are prayers. And so our goal is through going through these prayers, going through these, these verses, we want you to grow in your prayer life independently but also corporately. We as a church, we want, we want you, the leaders in this church, we want you to grow in your prayer life independently and corporately because you understand and you see who God is and his character in the scripture. You see, we, we as individuals in our walk with Christ, we grow in our prayer life because we come to understand who God is. We don't just pray because we know it's right. We pray because we begin to understand. It's kind of like whenever you have a conversation with someone, you talk to them because you appreciate their character and you appreciate who they are, right? 
It's like when you're married, you marry that person because you enjoy who that person is. You see, through Christ, we are married to Christ through his death on the cross and forgiving us. And so because of that, because of that marriage, because of that connection, he has given us the ability to, to offer prayer and to talk with him through his Holy Spirit. I talked about that two weeks ago through intercessory. We talked about how Christ intercedes and how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Prayer is an important part of, of what we do each week. We see in Acts, we see in Acts, the first four chapters, the individuals of the church, they gathered in each chapter multiple times to pray, to seek the Lord in things, to seek the Lord individually, but also cohesively. And so not only do we want you to, to pray, to, to spend time in prayer, hitting your knees, I want you to literally get on your knees in the morning, find a place where you can hit your knees and you can pray, humble yourself before the Father, and spend time in prayer for five minutes. One of the things that I love to do, this is side note, I wasn't planning on telling you guys this, but I love to write my prayers out because it helps me stay on track. It helps me stay attentive in my prayers so that I don't run off on a tangent. It's really easy to get off on a tangent while you're, while you're sitting there trying to pray. You start thinking about all the things that you got to do that day or all the things that are going on. And so it helps me. I sit and I write down a prayer for, for Sarah Grace, a prayer for TJ, a prayer for myself, a prayer for the church, people specifically in the church that I know I need to be praying for, things that are going on, people that I'm praying that the Lord speaks life into, that speaks his gospel into. I write all these things out and I hit my knees every single morning and I pray and I go through these prayers every morning. It takes five to ten minutes. But for me, it's been really humbling because it's, allowed, it's taught me to, to fully rely on the Lord, to understand that he is my refuge, to understand that he is my strength, to understand that he is my counselor, that he is, he is all things for me and that I'm not the one that does it, but rather he is. Because when we hit our knees in prayer, we're understanding that it's not us. It's not us that, that does uh, whatever it is that we're asking for. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Father in heaven. It's Jesus on the cross. And so I want you to grow in your, in your prayer life independently, but we also want you to grow in your, in your prayer life corporately. And so starting next week, I would love for you to join. If it's just me, that's fine. If that's fine. But I want you to join. I want you to join starting next week at 9 o'clock, sitting either right in here or in the back room, wherever we can find space, depending on how many people show up. We're going to start a prayer, ga- prayer gathering at 9 o'clock in the morning every single Sunday. And I, we're, going to, we're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for downtown. We're going to pray for Duncan. We're going to pray for people specifically as we go. We're going to continue to do the texting thing that you guys did last week because we saw great results from that. We're going to continue to do that so that we can specifically pray over those things every single Sunday morning. Because we, if we are not a praying church, then it's hard to say that we are a church. If we are not praying corporately, then it's hard to say that we are a church because, again, prayer is a foundational aspect of the church. It's a foundational component of the church. Like I said, in the first four chapters, we see the church gather each time that they come together and they pray. They devoted themselves to prayer. We saw that last year when we went through Acts. We talked about that for a little while. The other side of it, too, is that Paul mentions prayer in every single letter that he writes. He opens his letters not by telling them what to do, what they're doing wrong. He doesn't open his letters with that. He opens with how he's been praying for those churches. He opens how he's been praying for Timothy and for Titus, how he's been praying for the individuals in the church, and he closes with the same thing. He doesn't open his letters by saying, You're, you, you suck. He doesn't open his letters by doing that. He does that usually in the middle of his letters. He does that, and sometimes it's really, really nice to get that punch to the gut, but he always opens it with, Hey, I've been praying that you increase in the grace and in the knowledge of the grace and mercy that who, that of God, who He is, 
And so again, Paul shows us, his ministry shows us that we have to be focused on growing not only independently, but also corporately in prayer as a response of the gospel, in response to the gospel, in response to God's character, not just because we think that we're supposed to, not just because it's a checklist thing, but because I really understand that the Lord loves me and that he cares for me and that he's walking with me, and I want to hit my knees and give him thanks and give him honor and give him glory and ask him to work these things out in my life, work the sin out in my life, work the addictions out in my life, work, work all these things because I know I can't do it, but I know that he can because he is the one who sits enthroned in heaven and he is the one who has conquered death. He has conquered the grave, and he has given us forgiveness for all things. We know that he can do those things, but we just have to be willing to hit our knees and do it. The other reason, the the last reason why we're doing this is because our purpose as Christians is worship. Our purpose is to worship. Our purpose is to understand the Father's character and respond to it, and that is worship. And you see, that's the thing, is that prayer is worship. The last reason why we need to be focusing on prayer is because prayer is worship. It is worshiping because we understand the character of the Father, and we understand that we need to be doing it, not, again, not because it's a checklist item, but because it's worship. And we are meant to live in the purpose of worship. And so some of you may know the prayer process and praise aspect that we talk about in discipleship. As we go, we, we ask you from time to time, hey, what are you praying through? What are you processing? What are you praising the Lord for? How, how is your prayer life? You may have heard those questions before. As we go through the Psalms, you're going to see and you're going to hear me talk about, maybe other people talk about, that the Psalms are broken down into those three components. Over and over again, you're going to see that David or whoever writes, they, they explain, hey, this is a section that's about processing. This is a section that's about praying. This is a section that's about praising. You're going to see those kind of shifts in, in what's being said. And so that's where that idea comes from. I just wanted to point, that, point that out to you guys as we go. So the context of the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms was written by a lot of different people. It was not just David. David wrote a large portion of them. And you will see again, like if you look at five, if you look at three, if you look at six, it says a psalm of David. That explains to you who the author is. The ones that don't have an author, we assume that David is the author or that people wrote them for David uh, because he spoke them. And so like Psalm 2, today when we go through Psalm 2, we know that David wrote it because in Acts, I think it's 4, Acts 4, verses 25 through 26, uh, we actually see that the uh, disciples attribute this psalm to David. And so we know that David wrote most of the songs, but later, past like, Psalm 90, we understand that there's a lot of different authors to the book of Psalms. And so um, the book of Psalms, again, they were, they were worship songs. They were worship songs. They were, they were ways that they offered their prayer and their thanksgiving in the temple. And there were ways that David responded to situations in his life. And today, that's what we're going to see, that in the situation where David was facing a lot of uh, rejection, a lot of uh, trials, he, he wrote this psalm. We don't necessarily know when. We don't know exactly why, but we know that it was in uh, response to trials in this life. And so what, when we're reading this, when we're going through the scripture, the one thing that I hope that you take away from today, the one, one thing that I hope you see in God's character is that he is your refuge. I hope you understand today that as we're reading this prayer, as we're reading this song, as we're reading this thing and, and understanding who the Lord is, that you understand that he is your refuge, that he is a place where you can go and hide. That, that you can seek out and that you can sit with and talk to. 
spend time with, lean into. So we're going to be going verse by verse. You guys know we're a church that goes verse by verse through the Bible. We preach verse by verse every single week. Uh, And so we're going to go verse by verse today. We're going to start uh, in verse 1. It says, Why do the nations rage, and why do the people people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw off, throw their ropes off of us. So this section, we see David open this up. This is kind of the beginning of him processing what's going on, and he says, why do the people plot in vain? He's saying, why do they plot in vain? He's saying that because who the Lord is. He's saying, hey, they're, they're, they're plotting in vain. It's, it's, it's a useless effort. It's a useless effort that they're going to plot, that they're going to try to plan. They're going to try to do different things to go against the Lord. They're taking their stand against the, uh, against the Lord. The rulers are conspiring. They're standing against the Lord. He's saying that it's a vain effort because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And he says against his anointed one. When we see anointed one, your, your Bible may have a little footnote may have a little footnote that has anointed one lowercase. This meant not only was this written about David, but it was also written about Jesus. We're going to see that this, this psalm, not only is it about David, not only is it explaining David and, and David becoming king in Jerusalem, but we're also going to understand that this is a prophecy of Jesus and what Jesus was going to do and his purpose. And so in verse 3, it says, let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. When I was reading this, I was a little confused by it because I was like, what does that exactly mean? Like, what does it mean? Let's throw off their chains and let's throw their ropes off of us. Like, what are they talking about? And so I did a little bit of research, and what I came to understand is that these were people, these were the kings standing against the Lord and saying, we don't want the yoke of Christ. We don't want to carry the burden of following, following the Lord and humbling ourselves before the Lord. We don't want to, to battle that. We don't want to have to deal with that. We want to take it off. We don't want that burden. We want to live the life that we want to live. We want to, we want to be the way that we are. It's so interesting because time and time again, we, we are that way. We just want to be the way that we are. We just want to live the life that we want to live. We don't want to surrender. We, want, we don't want to give things up. I'm a dreamer. I've told you guys this. I'm a dreamer. And so it is so hard for me to surrender dreams, to surrender aspirations that I have, things that I would love to do, places that I would love to go, plans that I make, ideas that I have. It is so difficult for me to give those things up because I take them so close to heart. But you see, when I do that, that's me saying I'm Lord of my life. I'm king of my life. I have control of my life. The Lord does not have control of my life. And that's what these kings and these rulers were doing. They were saying, hey, I have control of my life. I I want complete control. I don't want to surrender any control of it. But you see, when Jesus came and he died and he, he died to forgive our sins, he said, hey, you have to give up control to be accepted into my kingdom. You have to give, you have to surrender. You have to be obedient to the life that I am calling you to to be brought into my kingdom, to, be, to receive the inheritance of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. You have to submit. You can't have control of your life because I created you and I have control over your life. You just need to submit and enjoy it because it will bless you more than any other possession, any other thing, any, anything else that you can enjoy, anything else that you could envy, anything else you believe that you can participate in. No party, no videos, no, no nothing. Not even Target. Not even Target. Y'all know I like to mess with Target. We're not going to talk about all the stuff going on with Target, but not even Target. 
we need to understand that it's not for us, it's not about tearing off the chains. For us, whenever it comes to the yoke of Christ, it's not about how, how heavy it is that we don't want to deal with it. It's, no, do we enjoy it? I want to read a quote from you guys, uh, for you guys, about uh, that, that Charles Spurgeon uh, wrote about this scripture. I've got it on my phone for you guys. Charles Spurgeon was a well-known preacher uh, over in, in England. Uh, he was very well-known for the way that he uh, encouraged and strengthened and he preached the word. And so he wrote this about verse 3 specifically. He says, To a graceless neck, the yoke of Christ is intolerable. But to the saved sinner, it is easy and light. And he says, We may judge ourselves by this. Do we love that yoke? Do we love the yoke of Christ? Do we love the burden of following Christ? Or do we wish that it would be cast from us? Do we love following Jesus so much that the yoke of Christ is light, that, that we don't care about the sacrifice that we have to make? We don't care about the fact that we want to be kings and rulers of our life, lords of our life, whatever it is. We don't care about those things, but rather we just want to submit to Christ because we know that his grace is far more sufficient than anything else that we could participate in. It is far greater than anything else that we could, we could believe. It is far greater than anything else we could ever receive. You see, we were, again, we were created to worship. We were created to live in the refuge of the Lord. And whenever we try to cast off the yoke of Christ, whenever we try to cast off the ropes to tear off the chains, whenever we try to live like verse 3 says, like these kings and these rulers are uh, conspiring against the Lord, whenever we do this, we are, not, we are not living to worship the Lord. We're not living in obedience. We're not living in the purpose that Christ created us for, to worship him, to live in his refuge. And so we see in verse 4, it says, the enthroned one in heaven laughs. In response to this comment in verse 3, we see that the enthroned one in heaven laughs. He laughs because of sin. He, it says in verse 4, it continues, it says, the Lord ridicules them. Why? Because of sin. Because he understands that the statement is being made out of sin. It's being made out of disobedience. It's being made because they don't understand exactly who the Lord is. But when David writes this next part, he says, the enthroned one is in heaven. He doesn't say the Lord. He doesn't say uh, some other name. No, he says the enthroned one in heaven. When he's saying that, he's saying, hey, you might be kings, you might be rulers of land, but, but you need to understand that the Lord, he is the enthroned one in heaven. He is the one that has dominion over all things, and he is laughing. I was explaining this to somebody earlier. You know how it is, like, we just spent the week with our family at the beach, and our nephew, he's five, uh, and so he, he is just off the wall. He's fantastic. I love him to death. Uh, but it's funny whenever you see him do something that you know maybe they're not supposed to do or even just something that you're like, man, that doesn't really make sense. Like, that's funny. You, you, you chuckle a little bit. You, you laugh at him a little bit, right? And you just kind of like shrug it off. That's pretty much what's happening here. It's the Lord chuckling because it's like, you know that they don't understand what they're doing. You know that they don't understand the decision that they're making. They don't understand what's, what's about to happen. They don't understand the consequences you don't understand. It's when we live in a life that is focused on taking off the yoke of grace, taking off the yoke of Christ, when we live in that way, we don't always understand what we're taking off. Sometimes because we just don't appreciate it. We have to live a life that appreciates that the yoke of Christ is the yoke of the one who sits enthroned in heaven. That is our refuge. And it says in verse 5, then he speaks to them in his anger. That word anger, that, that, that word anger, it's tied to zeal. 
is tied to being zealous. It's kind of a fierce anger. It's not like, you know how like whenever, again, going back to kids, like I feel like everybody in here has ever, either you've experienced it, like your parents getting really, really mad at you, or you've been really, really angry at something that your kid has done, and you just like, you just like freak out for a second, and you're just like, can you just not? Like, do you ever just have those moments? Have you ever experienced that? Come on. Yeah, you're just like, can you just not? Like, I need you to, I need you to quit. I just need you to quit. That's, again, that's what this is. It's like being zealous. Like, I just need you to quit. Like, just, just cut it out. Like, uh, who was that on, uh, on that TV show, Full House? Was that Joey? Joey, cut it. What is it? I don't remember. Cut it out. Yeah. So, anyways, I was hoping that that would make y'all laugh, but it didn't, so it's all right. Thanks, Justin. Anyways, so he speaks to them in his anger. He speaks to them in his anger, that, in that zeal. He's zealous, again, because of sin. He, he's laughing. He's ridiculing. He's speaking to them in his anger, because, not because of, uh, because of who they are, but because of the sin that is infecting them and causing them to want to tear off his yoke, the, the, the blessing of following and worshiping him. And then he responds to them. The Lord himself says to David in the psalm, he says, I have installed my king on Zion my holy mountain. Zion, my holy mountain, that's Jerusalem. He says, I have installed my king in Jerusalem. And again, I told you that this psalm, it's speaking of David, David becoming king, but it's also foreshadowing Jesus being the new king who would come into Jerusalem and get on a cross to forgive us of our sins so that we could live in an intimate relationship with him and be forgiven of our sins. All those things, all of our past being cast off so that we could live in the blessing of following, so that we could live in the refuge of following him. And it continues, it says, I, I, have declare, I will declare the Lord's decree. So this is David again speaking. He said to me, you are my son, and today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the end of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter, and you will shatter them like pottery. This is a foreshadowing of exactly what Jesus was going to do. Jesus was going to be the son. He was going to be the son. That's why it's capitalized in your book. If you look, son is capitalized. It's speaking specifically of Jesus, the anointed one who is our refuge. He was going to be the son who had the father's presence with him always and would walk with him and would teach and would heal and perform miracles. Also that the people then and so us now when we read the scripture would understand that he is Lord and that he has the ability to make the nations his inheritance. That all Jesus had to do was ask, that all Jesus did was ask, and Jesus accomplished this. We needed to understand he did all this so that we could understand that he wanted the ends of the earth to be his possession. He wanted you to be his possession. He wanted you to rest in the refuge that is himself. He did all of this. He forgave. He, he came and he, he declared this to David, and he accomplished all these things so that he could break the nations like a uh, with an iron scepter, that literally means that he was going to shatter their ideas of everything. He was going to shatter all of their understanding of how life was. And we see that that happened because we see how, how Paul wrote to the Romans. He shattered the way that they thought. He, he combated all of their understanding, all of their philosophy. 
We understand through his letter to the Colossians how he's challenging them and telling them, hey, don't be dis, uh, discouraged. Don't, don't be uh, persuaded by all the, the random philosophies that people tr- continue to try to bring into Christianity. But rather, focus on following Christ the way that you received him. Focus on receiving Christ. Focus on living in the refuge that is Christ. And he says you will shatter them like pottery. Again, that just goes to show that he was going to destroy their idea of how they lived and create a new one. He was going to create a new way of living. And that new way of living is what the next part of the scripture talks about. But I just want to sit in this for a second. I want you to understand that Jesus came. He came to be your refuge. He came to sit. This part of the psalm is David processing what's going on. It's David receiving and processing what's going on. It's David sitting and saying, this is what the Lord has told me, and this is what he's going to do. You see, when we sit in prayer, when we spend time with the Lord in prayer, when we understand his character, when we understand that he is our refuge, we will sit with him in prayer, and he will continue to encourage us. He may not speak audibly. I'm not going to tell you that he's going to speak audibly to you, but he will send you to a, to a scripture. He will send a person into your life to speak encouragement into your life. He will speak into your life in a specific way. In this case, he spoke to David because David was his anointed king who he had placed as ruler in Zion to foreshadow Jesus and what Jesus would do for us. That Jesus would come as Lord over all creation and humble himself to die for us, to forgive us for our sin. To forgive us for our disobedience, our choosing to take off the yoke, to our choosing to not live for Christ until we come to understand his character and understand who he is. And so now in response to this, in response to who the, who the Lord is, the fact that he is going to make the nations his inheritance, the fact that he is going to make the end of the earth his possession, that he's going to break them, that he's going to shatter them like pottery, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, David tells the kings, these rulers who want to tear off the yoke of Christ, that, that, that want to throw off these ropes rather than live in the refuge of Christ, he says to them, So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son or he will be angry. And you will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. So David responds to the people. He, he encourages them and he tells them, hey, this is what you need to do. I know that you're wanting to cast off this, this yoke. I know you're not wanting to live in obedience to the Lord. I know that you're, not, that you're not wanting to surrender to him. But this is who he is. And so because of who he is, I need you to understand you need to be wise. You need to receive the instruction of the Lord. This instruction is talking about the Torah. It's talking about the scriptures. David's saying, hey, you need to understand the scriptures. You need to lean into what the Lord has given us, the law that he has given us. Not because he wanted people to live by every single note of the law, but because when you read the law, it reveals the character of the Lord. And when you understand the character of the Lord, you live in the purpose that he's given you. Again, it all comes back to that purpose, that purpose of worship, that purpose of living in the refuge of the Lord. That's why he ends the psalm the way that he does. And he says, serve the Lord with reverential awe. That reverential awe, and in the next phrase it says rejoice with trembling. The, the awe and the trembling, the, the reverence, that's, that's tied to the word fear. Fear the Lord. This is a phrase that we see a lot of times throughout Scripture. It's used almost more than any other phrase. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. 
And it's not talking about being afraid, not, not going and hiding in a corner and being afraid and doing nothing. No, it's saying you're going to give him all the honor and glory and power more than anything else in your life. You're going to give him all the attention, all the concern, all the focus in your life. You're not going to let anything else consume you, not money, not your job, not your car, not your home, not your, your bushes that you need to cut. Not any of those things, but rather you're going to focus specifically on spending time in your intimate relationship with the Lord, speaking to Him, surrendering, hitting your knees. This, this part that says pay homage to the Son, pay homage, it literally is translated to mean kiss. Kiss the Son. And that idea, if you've ever watched a TV show that had rulers or kings or anything in it, you would see that when people would come into the presence of the king, the king would maybe lift up his hand and they would kiss his hand. Or like every once in a while, like someone that was like a beggar would like kiss the feet of the king. That's what that meant. It was a, it was a form of submission, submitting to the higher authority. So when it says pay homage, it's saying submit to the son or he will be angry. Again, that angry is zeal, zeal against the sin that's in your life. He will be zealous to get rid of the sin that's in your life. He will be zealous to eliminate sin in the world. And he's already done that through his death on the cross. And it says you will perish in your rebellion. This is that eternal separation from the Lord. We will perish we will perish. We will be eternally separated from the Lord if we are not living in the purpose that he has given us, which is to worship, which is to live in the refuge of the Lord because he is our refuge. He is a refuge to the lost, to the broken, to us, the sinners, the brokenhearted people that don't know what to do. Every single day of the week we wake up and we're like, what's going to happen today? He is our refuge. Even in those seasons where you're like, man, why do I keep going back to this? Why do I keep struggling with this? Why does this keep coming at my doorstep, and why do I keep opening the door to it? Or maybe you're like, God, I know that I want to go do this. I know that you've called me to do this. Why is it not happening? In those seasons, it's the same thing. Or maybe it's whenever you're a parent, and you're like, I just want my child to receive the gospel. I just want them to accept the gospel and live for the gospel. God, I am, I am trusting you anxiously. I am fearing you anxiously to, to, to speak the gospel into their life. Whatever it may be, we have to understand that the Lord is our refuge in the situation and that we have, we have to just serve him with, with fear. We have to rejoice with that same fear. We just need to submit to him. We need to understand that in those circumstances that he is our refuge refuge, church, because all who take refuge in him are happy. That word happy, it's blessed. Be translated blessed. All who take refuge in him are blessed. (laughs) One of the phrases uh, that somebody in our church, I'm not going to name who, you might know who, but one of the phrases that somebody in our church cannot stand is when they say, uh, bless you. There is somebody in our church that just cannot stand that phrase. You might know it. I'm not going to name it, but he can't stand it. He cannot stand it whenever you say, God bless you, or, or bless you, or uh, bless your heart. He cannot stand it whenever you say, bless your heart. I'm not going to say who it is because then everyone's going to start doing it and he's going to get mad at me. But he cannot stand it. But in reality, it's like whenever we're saying that, we're saying, happy is your heart, or happy your heart. It's like we're, we're saying that and we're just like we want that person to be happy. And so it's like it's a phrase that we just toss out there, but it's like, okay, we're saying we want your heart to be happy. We want, your, we want you to be happy. We want you to be glad. We want you to rejoice in, what, in the circumstances. 
regardless of what's going on, but what does that really look like? Well, it looks like worshiping the Lord. Because we only have that blessing. We only receive the blessing. We only receive the blessing of salvation. We only receive the blessing of sanctification. We only receive the blessing of discipleship and community and the church when we are living in the refuge of the Father. And we find that refuge when we hit our knees and we spend time with Him in prayer. I promise you, I promise you as your pastor, I promise you, just spending a little bit of time in prayer every single day and soaking up his character through his word and taking that character before him and saying, God, I know that, I know that you are my refuge and I give you all praise and honor and glory because of who you are. I believe that you are king over all creation, that you are the one that's enthroned. I believe that. Speaking those things in your prayer, not just coming before him and saying, all right, God, I need this, I need this, this, this. God, I need my car to start. I need, I need my AC to get fixed. I need my electric bill to get paid. Yeah, those things are important, and he can do those things, but the blessing of living in his salvation is far greater than having AC. I'll go ahead and tell you. Because there are people all over this world that don't have AC, and they're living in the blessing of salvation, and their life, to them, they're living in more joy than some of us are. That's the truth. I bet you $10 Lauren can tell you the truth, like it's the truth. There are people that are living with more joy without all the little gadgets that we have because they have salvation and they're living in the truth of salvation. You see, we like to accumulate, we like to associate, not accumulate, we like to associate our happiness, our blessedness with the circumstances and the things that we have in life. But that's not how it works. Blessedness does not come from possession. It comes from being possessed. Being blessed does not come from our possessions, but rather it comes from being possessed by the Father, being His possession, being His, his son, His daughter, living in His salvation. And we're, when we're living in the refuge of that salvation, we are hitting our knees and we are praying. David wrote this in the refuge of the Father. That's why he ends it the way that he ends it. That's why he makes the comment in verse 3. That is the center point of this entire scripture. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. They are saying they want to throw off the yoke of Christ. They don't want to live in the refuge of Christ, but rather they would rather live in the refuge of all the different things that they believe would give them satisfaction. It's so easy for us to try to find satisfaction in other things. It's so easy for, for us to find, try to find satisfaction in the new car. Or, I'm going to say it again, a nice walk through Target. Me and Sarah Grace are very, very bad about that. We love to go on a walk through Target and just be like, mm, that, that bathing suit looks really nice. Or that new Xbox looks really nice. I could not tell you how many times I go through Target and I see an Xbox and I'm like, Sarah Grace, that looks really nice. Bobby would tell you, Bobby's got three. <laughs> I'm just saying, Bobby's got there. <laughs> uh, but it's so easy. It's so easy. I'm just messing with you, Bobby. It's so easy for us to find refuge in things. It's so easy for me to go back to the things that I used to find refuge in. It's so easy for me to go back to, to isolating myself in my office and playing my video games and having nothing to do with anything else. Not talking to anybody. It's so easy for me to do that, but it is so much more beneficial. It is so much more fruitful for me to live in the blessing of Christ, to live in intimacy with other people, to live in intimacy with Christ, to hit my knees and pray, to spend time meditating on his word and spend time meditating in silence. It is so much more beneficial because it makes me happy. 
it gives me the blessing of who he is, the blessing of his character. Because when, I, when I'm living to find his character, his character will refine me. And that is our purpose. Our purpose is to be refined, to live in worship, to live in the refuge of Christ. And we do that through seeking him in prayer, through spending time in his word, and surrounding us ourselves with community. So I want to leave you with one last thought. It's going to come up on the screen. It's that same quote that I read from Spurgeon. It says, To a graceless neck, the yoke of Christ is intolerable. But to the saved sinner, it is easy and light. We may judge ourselves by this. Do we love the yoke of Christ? Do we love the blessing of Christ? Do we love the fact that he has forgiven us? Do we love the fact that he has set us apart, that he has made us holy by his death, by the blood poured out, by what he has done? Like that song that we sang, do we love the yoke of Christ? Do we love living for him? Or do we wish that that would be cast away from us so that we can live the way that we want to live? Do we wish that we could cast off the yoke of Christ so that we could live the way that we want to live. I've told y'all this story before. When I gave my life to Jesus, the Lord spoke and told me that I would preach. He told me that. And since that moment, until about a year ago, I fought it with everything in my body. I tried to do everything else. I tried to find satisfaction in everything else. I applied to Clemson, to USC, the bridge programs, to uh, some other college. I don't even remember the name of it. I applied to like five other schools, and then I applied to go to Spartanburg Methodist College. I only got accepted to go to Spartanburg Methodist College because that was the only college where I was planning on pursuing what the Lord had called me to. And I remember whenever I got all those rejection letters, and SMC was the last one. I remember when I got that acceptance letter to SMC, I remember saying, okay, God, if that's what you want, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. Whatever. If it doesn't work out, I'm doing what I want to do. But I guess I'll go for it. And so I moved to Spartanburg, and I fell in love with the church. I fell in love with serving the Lord. I fell in love with reading his word. I fell in love with seeing his character. I fell in love with seeing people give their life to Jesus. At the time I was serving in a youth ministry, I fell in love with seeing teenagers on fire to serve the Lord and to walk with the Lord. I fell in love with all those things. I met Sarah Grace there. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I met Tyler through that. I met a bunch of people through that. You see, if I had cast off the yoke of Christ, if I decided, no, I don't want this rope, I don't want this burden, I don't want this chain, I don't, I don't want this, none of that would have happened. I feel pretty confident because I wouldn't have moved to the upstate. At least not Spartanburg. We all live in Spartanburg. I would have rather lived in Clemson. Let's be honest. Go Tigers. It's a lot better than Columbia. Anyways, it's a lot better than Columbia. I would have done life my way. I would have decided to live life my way, not under the yoke of Christ. But you see, the Lord knows that he is my refuge. 
And he knew that I needed to be in him. He knew that I needed him as a refuge. He knew that he knew exactly who I was and exactly what was wrong in my heart. Everything that, that, was, that was happening in my life and was going to happen. And he knew that I needed to be in Spartanburg, that I needed to meet Bobby, that I needed to meet all of you, that I needed to meet Peyton, that I needed to meet you, Caleb, that I needed to meet every single one of you. He knew that I needed the community that I did. I might be your pastor, but you are my community. You are my people. And I'm not standing on stage because I just want to preach because the Lord told me. No, I'm standing on stage because the Lord has given me a community and he has blessed me with people in my life that love me and love my son and love my wife. And love the Lord more than that. I do everything that I can to make sure that I am living under the yoke of Christ and not trying to take control of my own life. But it all starts with me hitting my knees in the morning and talking to the Lord about it. That's what it starts with. It starts with me praying and spending time in his word and being refined by his character. Because I know that he is my refuge. He is your refuge, church. He is your refuge. And he loves you. He died for you. He forgave you. Whatever mistake you've made, whatever choices you believe you've made, he has forgiven you. I was trying to turn it back to the psalm because I was going to read one more part. Maybe. I just want us to understand that the enthroned one in heaven laughs. I know that sounds funny, but the enthroned one in heaven laughs. Jesus, knowing that we are his sons and his daughters, he chuckles. He laughs. He's not scoffing. He's not doing it out of anger, like wrath anger. He's doing it because they just don't understand, but they're going to understand one day. I didn't understand what God was doing whenever he sent me to Spartanburg. Now I do. Now I do. And it started with me praying then, and it's continued with me praying now. Church, he is your refuge. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this time to sit with you and to, to understand that you are the enthroned one in heaven. That you have blessed us with your refuge, with your presence that you have blessed us with your salvation, with your truth, with your hope, that you have blessed us with who you are, not with the possessions that we own, not the homes, none of those things, but rather who you are, God. You have blessed us with that because when we live, when we live in pursuit of your character and your character changing us, when we are worshiping who you are, God, we are living in the purpose that you created us for. Father, I am so thankful for this message this morning, and I pray that as we continue through the Psalms, Lord, that you continue to work in us, that you continue to challenge us, that you continue to strengthen us in prayer together and independently. Lord, I pray that as we go into this time of worship, Lord, that we can rest in the fact that you have done what you've done so that we can be in 
your presence so that we can have you as a refuge. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.